The worst kept secret in the luxury social events industry is that businesses are developed through networking, referrals and word of mouth. RSVP puts all of you in the room and lets the conversations happen. We are a member networking community for the elite of the global wedding and party industry, producing symposium conferences, awards, networking theme parties, breakfast clubs, and now weekly member podcasts and much more. So welcome to the RSVP In Conversation With podcast. Our guest today describes himself as thus. I'm more than a wedding and event planner. I am a husband, a father, and a wanderer. I've been with my husband for 31 years, and we have an 18-year-old son adopted at 11 months from the California foster care system who has just started university. Additionally, there's two fur babies, the dog Otto and cat Luna, an adventure at heart, always up for the next life-changing experience. I have a passion for music, art, design and fashion. Good friends and amazing food is a staple in my circle. Growing up, I was considered the black sheep of the family, the rebel, the most likely to either change the world or end up in jail. A true child of the 80s, considering myself to be an extroverted introvert, often wanting to lay low in the background, surrounded by those familiar, but does not mind being in the spotlight when needed. I love giving back to this community and often volunteers for charities that are important to me. I'm always on a journey of finding myself, believing that we are never too old to learn or too young to begin something new. Travel is the best education anyone can have, and the people I meet always teach me something new. I love the power of connection and connecting the right people with other right people. At home, you'll often find me scrolling through social media for the next best cat videos, flipping through design magazine, eating pints of ice cream in my underwear, and binge-watching some random TV shows, spending time with my family, getting in the car, and just driving. Three words to describe me is chill, passionate, and an anomaly. Welcome, Percy Sellers. Thank you so much. I mean, <laughs> hearing that bio is really kind of funny. You know, so <laughs> it's quite a mouthful, I must admit. <laughs> uh, there's, you are a very interesting person, a complicated person, but there's lots of descriptive anecdotes and things in there for, uh, which describe you. So you are someone certainly who has lived life and continues to live it, which is wonderful. And that's really what our industry is all about, isn't it, at the end of the day? Yes, definitely. So this is about Percy the man rather than Percy, the professional event planner. But we may touch on that in the next half an hour or so. But let's start at the beginning. You very kindly sent me an invitation a couple of weeks ago to your 55th, if you don't mind me saying so, yes. birthday. It is 12 months away, so there we go. So you are, we are of a similar age and, and probably similar experiences, et cetera, et cetera. But um, tell us about your childhood, your upbringing, the earliest influences, your first memory your family, your education, et cetera. So, you know, my childhood was, you know, I was an immigrant. I immigrated here to the U.S. when I was four years old with my parents, actually my mother and my brother. My dad came here to the U.S. a year ahead of us to get us in. So we immigrated from Manila, Philippines, to Oakland, California. You know, my childhood was kind of, um, how can I say, complicated, a little bit eventful. I mean, coming to the U.S. as a kid really um, is so far different than being raised in, in Manila. And you know, I think one of my earliest childhood was um, going to school for the first time and going to kindergarten. And all I spoke was Tagalog. 
And I went into the classroom filled with kids who didn't look like me, didn't sound like me or anything like that. And I pushed my mom in the room and I said, mom, you speak English, speak to them because I don't know what they're saying. So, you know, that was one of the earliest remembrance of my my childhood um, starting in the States. I grew up in a very conservative Filipino family, you know, very Catholic, very strict, strict in a way where, you know, my parents had expectations, right? I mean, that Filipino expectations of you are going to make this family proud and do yourself proud. You know, the expectation was, you know, like most Filipino families that you're going to grow up to be a professional, either a lawyer or a nurse or doctor of some sort, right? I was far from that, you know, and I knew that growing up, I was far different than my cousins or any other relatives that were like me. Early on, probably in my late, geez, elementary school, like eighth grade or so, I started realizing I was far different, you know, being gay and started seeing that. But I saw that even early on, you know, it's like, the effeminate side of me came out. Um, you know, my dad was very strict. And, you know, there's this term in Tagalog where they're like, are you baklat, which means are you gay? You know, and at six or seven or eight years old, you don't know what that term is. You know what I mean? But it was it was something that was very, I guess, traumatizing in a way because it was just, it was very shameful. And it was something that, my dad especially um, made an issue of. So in the Filipino family, that's just that's just something, right? There was nobody else that you could relate to who also could be along the same lines. Not at that time. You know, I mean, I, I think just being a kid, kind of discovering who you are, you know, it's like you don't, you never see people who could be like you, you know, and you don't know anyone who, who could turn like you. And the one thing is that when I was about 14, 15, um, one of my first cousins actually moved into our home and lived with us. And he ended up being gay as well, you know, but we did discover that till I was like 16. So, you know, when I came out at 16, you know, at least I had someone else who I could talk to about that, even though he wasn't out. This is obviously quite important to you, and uh, your first memory was going into a school where you didn't speak anything the language, you were in an alien kind of culture and, and country, and and then you realized that you were gay but didn't know what the term meant, et cetera, et cetera. At quite a young age, six or seven is, is quite young to be realizing that. Yeah. Let's sort of move on now to, to the professional or the semi-professional side of you. We are creatives in this industry everybody is we operate at the highest level and we are an art form but are there any other art forms that you can relate to whether it's painting music drama theater film etc so you're looking for like my hidden talents is that what you're saying <laughs> well 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 you you may have many hidden talents percy this is a family show <laughs> <laughs> so, so i mean art form wise um art form wise or performance wise you know i was a dancer on the in my early teens as well so i did ballet and jazz and contemporary dance <laughs> i am also a saxophone player even though i haven't picked up a saxophone for about 10 years now, but I mm -hmm. used to play saxophone in band. That's fantastic. So I think those are the things that I love to do. 
other creative stuff, you know, I'm not an artist. I can't draw work shit, but <laughs> you know, I, I love doing collages and mood boards and putting things together. My husband's background is in fashion design. So, um, collaboratively we do do things together. He makes, um, a lot of my clothing, like the jacket that I wore at RSVP in Madrid. So that was a collaborative piece that we came in. So visualizing those things and working with other people on those things, I think is, um, another art form that I actually do. So I think that comes back to, you know, the professional side of me is that is that's why I love design. I love putting color together and patterns together and experiences together, because I think that's a form of art in its own. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and maybe when you've had a few drinks, do any of these hidden talents come out? Do you ever dance when you've had a, a bottle of wine down you? Well, you, you know, I love to dance. Definitely. You know, at RSVP, it shows like after I've had a couple of gin martinis or whatever, you know, I will hit the dance floor and I love to be on the dance floor, but it takes me a while now to get on there just because it's not that I'm ashamed or anything like that, but I think it's partly, partly the age where, oh, are they going to think I'm, I look stupid dancing on the dance floor, but I do love to dance. So, <laughs> <laughs> and, and also, I mean, we don't really have the physique anymore, do we as well? No. You know, you know, of the live ballet dancers. Or the stamina. Do, do yeah, <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. Not that I had it in the first place, but but you obviously did. So there we go. Let's just talk about maybe in ten years' time. You know, you're we're both getting to an age where we think, well, what are we going to do next? And do we consider even retiring? Or, but then again, in our profession, people just don't seem to retire, do they? They're always wanting the next big thing that's coming up, the next big event. But in ten years' time, I mean, where do you see yourself both professionally and? And personally, yes, I mean, I see myself retiring. I mean, I have a six year plan. So, you know, I want to be, I'm going to be 55 next year, as you know. You know, by the time I'm 60, I would love to retire. <laughs> what retirement looks like in the event industry, I think it's far different than most people would imagine. But, correct. Yes. You know, part of me is hoping that my son will take over the business, carry the legacy of Percy Salas events. But personally, I think, you know, what I want, I should say, is to be in some European countryside or seaside, you know, sitting on a chair, rocking back and forth and doing the speaking circuit, you know, and mm -hmm. that's, that's what my hope is, you know? So we are, my husband and I are actually looking um, for retirement property now. And I think we kind of mm -hmm. set ourselves up nicely to be able to retire. I mean, we won't be able to retire in the U.S. just because it's so expensive to retire here. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, you know, looking at a countryside in Italy or Francis or Portugal. It's and does your son have the aptitude for this industry? Does does he have the creativity and the have you taught him well so far? Well he is one of my coordinators right now. So we call Wonderful. him the seat guru and the charger guru. You know, he's the ones that when we're on an event, he's the one that sets up the chairs and makes sure everything is straight in line and he's the one telling the vendors that if these chairs aren't straight and these chargers look junky, um, before my dad gets here, you guys will hear something, <laughs> you know? So, you know, and I'm not that, I'm not that, <laughs> that person <laughs> that yells or anything <laughs> like me. Yeah. He, he puts that, like, get the stuff together before my dad gets back in the space, you know? So he's the enforcer. He's definitely the enforcer. So, <laughs> Wonderful. Uh, 
I don't know. I mean, he he jokes about not wanting to be it, but at the same time, he enjoys the process of doing weddings. So I don't know where that's going to be, you know. So we'll see. I I have this uh, fantasy of taking him to the next RSVP in Venice. Um, so he could kind of see what, you know, what the industry is on a, on a larger note. So we'll see. A true baptism of fire. Right. <laughs> <laughs> there right. we go. There we go. Okay. Well, let's just talk about maybe some other art forms. I mean, are you, um, you've mentioned that you, you play sax and, and, and you dance, but is there a particular style of music that you like or a particular band and do you go to gigs? Um, and when I say gig, I mean, a pop concert or, or a, rather than a, um, a gig in terms of a job. And is there a first gig that you went to? Uh, what, what was the last gig you went to? Let's start with the first gig that I went to. So the first gig that I went to was actually Donnie and Marie at the Oakland Coliseum. Oh so, my words. You know, was that in the seventies? That was probably late seventies or something like that. And well, I mean, I, I guess the first official concert that I went to was Lawrence <laughs> Welk. But, um, you know, but I guess the first rock concert or pop concert would be Donnie and Marie, you know, so. Wow. Not a proud moment, but it's, you know, it is what it is, right? Donnie and Marie. Um, mm-hmm. And the last concert I went to was, I think the last concert I went to was Duran Duran. Whoa, so okay. it was, it was great. So band wise, that's, you know. You are a child of the 80s, definitely. I am the child of the 80s. I mean, my favorite band still is Dead or Alive. You okay. know, I have a big love for Pete Burns. Mm-hmm. You know, Duran Duran, Depeche Mode, you know, all of those things. Prince, Madonna, mm-hmm. all of those. My next concert's Beyonce and then Madonna right after that. So we have tickets to those shows. So, I, I mean, I love music. I love everything from you know, um, from classical to, um, rap, you know, I think my son is surprised that I'm up to par with the music that he listens to. Like when we're in the car and I'm listening to it and I know words to songs, he's like, you know, this song. And I'm like, yeah, I'm not dead. You know, it's like, so music's always been a passion for me. And it's just, it's, it's one of those, um, those art forms that actually eases me. So, um, and makes me feel joy or makes me feel different emotions. Right. So mm-hmm. it's, it's definitely something that I, I enjoy. Um, I'm not a reader. I hate books. I hate reading. So I think my escape is, you know, is music mm-hmm. for sure. Wonderful. Wonderful. Okay. So you're going to go up to a bar now and behind this bar is every single drink that you could possibly ever want to order. And every single brand. What are you going to have? I'm a basic bitch, James. <laughs> <laughs> Just give me a good vodka, vodka cranberry, any okay. brand, and I'm good. Okay. You know? Okay. So, yeah. okay. So, so that's your aperitivo. That's your starter. Okay. And this bar is in your own home. Okay. And there's a dinner party there. So, what kind of food are you going to serve? And what kind of wines? You know, I love cooking. I love cooking and hosting. So, um, what what my husband says is I'm not an everyday cook because I don't like to cook every day. But when we do have parties, I like to be the cook. And, um, you know, I could do everything from French to go back down to my Filipino roots and cook on that. Just depends on what I want to do that for my family and friends. So, you know, I think the last 
party we had here for our friends was at Christmas. And I did a traditional Filipino dinner for them, which I made uh, chicken adobo and, you know, pancit and all of those things. And then I made what my mom called was pizza talong, which is basically eggplant parmesan, a Filipino style. Um, but um, so I made that with it. Um, you know, we have a fully stocked bar at home. So friends could just kind of drink whatever they want. But I think that at that time I had just gotten back from Mexico and really fell in love with this drink called a carajillo. So it's liquor 43 and espresso that's been shaken. Um, so that's what we were serving mm -hmm. that night. And I think we all got pretty liquored up because it hit us pretty fast. Okay. So in this dinner party, this is your fantasy dinner party, by the way, you can invite anybody alive or dead to the dinner party. Obviously your husband is going to be guest number one. Is he? But who's going who's to be guest number two? Well, well, well <laughs> actually <laughs> that's up to you as the host. Who would you actually get around the table? And also, just bear in mind, you should never meet your heroes. No, you should never meet your heroes. I mean, I think um, that's such a hard question because there's so many people I would love to be able to just talk to at a dinner. You know, first thing that comes to my mind is Frida Kahlo, you know, who I would love to to just exchange and see where her head was when, um, you know, her her artist ways and things like that. You know, I would love to to have my mom back. You know, my mom died of pancreatic mm -hmm. cancer um, almost 11 years ago. So having my mom back at that table would be very special to me. My dad too. So my dad died in a car accident actually um, almost two years ago. So having both of them at the table would be special. And the other people that I would love is, you know, some of my relatives I never met. My grandfather who died before I was even born. Um, I would love to have my grandmother, my mom's mom, back at that table because she was so influential to me. And there's other questions that I would love to hear from her. Mm -hmm. I, I'd love to have Prince at that table just because I thought he was a musical <laughs> genius. You know, Whitney Houston's another person who I would really love to um, to be able to get to know. And I think those those are certain things. I mean, there's so many people that I could think of that it's hard, but I think if I was able to bring back anyone, it would be more family members. No, well, that's 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 very sweet and, un and understandable, definitely. Okay. So let's just talk about when you're not working, what you do to chill out, relax, just get these get, get this events industry out of your system for a short while and and uh, or maybe you 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 just come off a very, very large event and you just want to do don't want to do anything. What do you do and how you do it? Where do you go? Who do you go with? So for me, the best way to relax is just to stay in bed, <laughs> sit on the couch. You know, what I mean that's <laughs> that's my go to and turn on Netflix. No, but in all reality, it's you know for me to to chill. I love to get a good massage. I love to just put on my headphones and listen to music. I just love um, brainless TV sometimes, you know, just to kind of shut down the brain and hear some white noise and just just get away from everything. So that's that's some of the stuff that I do to chill. I love to, like I mentioned in my bio, I love to get in the car and just drive and get lost. And for me, that's very relaxing. And I know a lot of people think it's crazy just to just to drive wanderlessly. But I love that, you know, and I'm glad that my husband loves to do the same thing. So, you know, there's times that 
you know, on a Friday afternoon, we're like, what do you want to do? It's like, let's just get in the car and drive and let's have a nice meal outside somewhere and then come home and chill. And I think that's a perfect um, relaxation tool for me. And when you go on a holiday for obviously a little bit longer than maybe a, a chill out session on a massage bed, where do you go for on holiday? Where's your favorite destination or do you go somewhere different every time? We try to go different to different locations every time and visit a place that we haven't done. We're big city people for sure. We're not beach people. We were talking about that with friends last night. It's like, oh, mm-hmm. when you go to Hawaii, do you hang out at the beach? I'm like, no, give me the pool and a drink and get me out on the streets, you know? So we're big city people. Being um, an art enthusiast and design enthusiast, I mean, architecture, city vibes, museums really make a trip for me. You know, the one thing that I always do when I visit a new city is hire a local tour guide and do a walking tour of some sort and just to get an overview of the city. When I was in Amsterdam with you, Mm -hmm. you know, Mm -hmm. I actually booked a bike tour the first. I got off of the plane, got on a bike tour and biked around Amsterdam for three hours, you know, and that was one of the most fulfilling moments Mm -hmm. that I have. And it's just getting um, acquainted with a new city is really really satisfying to me. So yeah, give me a big city anytime over a relaxing beach city. It is interesting. I mean, we're doing a series of these and I'm asking sort of the same question to everybody, but not wanting to go on holiday to a beach and go into a city seems to be the default sort of setting of our industry, really. It's um, um, it's very interesting that we are those kind of animals and I'm, I'm exactly the same. I don't like beaches. Okay then. Well, Let's just go down the naughty route now. And RSVP is a naughty brand. Yes. Having been to several of our events now, you know, we don't take ourselves too seriously. But what's the naughtiest thing you've ever done, Percy? And and re- really go for it. I mean, no one's listening. Gosh, James, there's so many naughty <laughs> things. You know, I mean, like I said, you know, by the time I was 16, I was in 21 and over bars dancing as a go-go boy at some of these bars, you know? So, you know, so yeah, people, I was dancing in my underwear, you know, in front of hundreds and thousands of people on top of bars. But I think, you know, I think the naughtiest thing that I can remember, and it's not, I don't know if it's really naughty, but just a little bit crazy is when I was about 17, 18, I flew to New York without anyone knowing. And I actually went and partied in the club scenes there and ended up dancing with Madonna and um, <laughs> at Paradise Garage. You know, I think there's a picture of me and her somewhere out there with me with a cigarette in my hand and her right next to me. And I, I have to find that picture. But I've seen it once. If you can find that picture, we'll put it onto our Instagram. <laughs> yeah. Okay. And, and say, RSVP member Percy Salas is an absolute legend and here's the reason why (laughs) (laughs) no i mean so you know i think that's that's the naughtiest i mean yeah i mean i think it's just varied varied right so what i was before i get got into the event industry i was actually an aids educator so i did aids educations in uh, gay men's bathhouses i would hand out condoms as people were having sex and say here you go please think about safe sex and, and actually, I mean, this is a funny story, James, is that, you know, I was an AIDS educator. I was educating on AIDS. And that's actually what started me out in the event industry. 
from passing out condoms in the bathhouses, I actually started a club called the Rubber Club. And what we would do is sex education in bars and clubs in a form of shows and um, either drag shows or performance shows or skits that we would do at bars. And that's what actually launched my event career. You know, it went from the Rubber Club Mm -hmm. to Catwalk, where I was doing um, runway fashion shows that showcased um, minority designers, gay minority designers, and also having some sort of AIDS education to it. So that's what kind of launched my career. So So you have a small career as a drag artist as well, did you? Yeah, I was, you know, I don't consider myself as a drag artist. But I have been seen in drag. Am I uncomfortable in drag? Yes, I'm uncomfortable in drag. <laughs> I actually, my husband and I in 92 actually fell in love while I was in drag. And he will say that I was in a blunt cut. And I'm like, let me get this shit off because I'm so uncomfortable in it. But, um, you know, he jokes. He says, yeah, yeah, he was wearing a blunt cut when um, when we fell in love. <laughs> Percy, you are a phenomenal individual. I mean, I mean, not many people can say, "Well, I met my husband whilst I was in drag." <laughs> I mean, that's a pretty, that's a that's a wonderful story. That's an absolutely wonderful story, and you must have thousands of them. You must have absolutely thousands uh, of them. There's so many stories. This is a confessional, okay? It's just me and you here. There's no one listening, I assure you. So is there, <laughs> is, there, is there a confession you want to get off your chest? Is something that you did and you think, well, I really need to tell the world or, or apologize to someone that you did something, you maybe broke a window when you were younger and blamed it on your brother, you know, <laughs> that kind of thing. There are so <laughs> many people that's been fucked by me. <laughs> okay, okay. It's not in a bad that's thing, it, right? It. I mean, it's just for me, it's just like, you know, being stupid at one point or another. So, you know, if I ever did you wrong, I'm so sorry. You know, if I ever borrowed money from you and never paid you <laughs> back, I'm so sorry. Come come ask for it and I'll pay you back. You know, I think the one thing that I, you know, the one thing that the confessionals, right? <laughs> we do some stupid shit when we're younger. Mm-hmm. And I know like, you know, having an 18 year old kid going through kind of that situation is just like, you just don't think how it impacts your life, but it actually does impact your life and it makes you change some things in your life as well. So, you know, I have this thing that there's no regrets, right? I did what I did um, just because that was part of the growing process. You know, I'm sure that I I know that I hurt my parents down the road many of mm-hmm. times because of the shenanigans that I pulled. Mm-hmm. Part of that growing up is like, people minimize me. Right. So it's, and I think that's, that's one of the things is that I grew up being minimized because of the randomness that I did and the, you know, the, the rebellious stuff that I did and they, they couldn't see past that. Right. So, I mean, one of the biggest things that I remember and that still sticks with me today. And I, I kind of talk about this sometimes in my, um, my speeches is that, you know, at one point of my life, someone says, you will never be more than mediocre. Ooh, that's not nice. Yeah, that term has stuck with me. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, it's all my life I've, I've fought not to be mediocre. You know, and it's, it's funny because that was the time when Amadeus came out and, you know, Scary Ellie actually, or whatever, F. Murray Abraham's character mm-hmm. that. Yeah. You know, he had a thing that's like he was a king of me- mediocrity, right? 
And so I've kind, I kind of took on that term of the king of mediocrity, and I'm going to show these people that I'm more than that. So, you know, I think that's what it is, is that all my life I've kind of, I've kind of fought that term of being mediocre. And it's become a, a term that's kind of haunted mm-hmm. me, you know, that I've kind of placed on myself, even though I know that I'm more than that. Yeah, so it's 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 really interesting how one word or you know a moment in your life can change the trajectory of your life. You know, and the funny thing is that the people who said that to me not even close to where I'm at. Revenge is best served icily cold. Yes. And you're doing it every day to them, which is fantastic. Percy, I think we're just about there coming to the end of our session. So Thank you, Percy Sales, event planner, secret ice cream connoisseur, Prince fan, safe sex educator during the act, go-go dancer, reluctant drag queen, and everything but mediocre. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, James. Thank you for listening to this RSVP podcast. If you'd like to go onto our mailing list or join RSVP, then please go to our website at rsvp.club or email me at James at rsvp.club. Please keep your feedback coming and speak to you all next week.